Welcome to Householders, a conversation about American life as Zen practice. I'm Inga Annie Wade. And I'm Kyosaku John Mitchell, and we're lay members of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center. It was wonderful to see you on Sunday. Yeah, so this is your, I mean, not your first time at the Zen Center, because you did Jukai there, and I don't know if you went other times, but this is your first, like, regular Sunday with the group being there. Yeah, my first Zazen. Yeah, and I noticed for me right away that I was uh, a little rusty on all of the uh, formalities. <laughs> yeah. Because I hadn't been there in a while, so I haven't been there uh, and done the Zazen practice since the beginning of the pandemic, so... Yeah. Normally, I don't know why I didn't do it now, but normally, like, Sensei walks everybody through the, like, okay, now the now you bow to the Roshi three times, and now you do this, and now, I mean, he did it a little bit, but a lot of times he'll do the whole thing, like, and just tell us what to do. Yeah. Because you always have newcomers coming anyway, so even if, like, you know, 40% know what to do, the other 60% might not. So mm-hmm. I don't know. He didn't do it as much this time. And then I was like, wait, wait, do I bow now or do I bow? Um, or is it the Roshi he's bowing right now? <laughs> is this just kind of one of those bell chimes that you don't bow to? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, to anybody who may have come to a Zen Center and felt that way, don't worry. It's okay. Obviously, we've said here a million times that the most important thing is the sitting and the uh, form that you take then. So, um, so something that Sensei always says, uh, bowing is always appropriate. Yeah, couldn't hurt. <laughs> so if you don't know what to do, no one's going to get mad at you if you bow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was doing a pretty seat in my pants to, you know, it's always a little bit different everywhere. And yeah. you know, I tried my best to catch all the protocol by watching on zoom but you can't always see everyone so you know i uh i i followed along it's it's also something you learn growing up jewish in like jewish services is is how to follow along like five milliseconds behind the person next to you yeah who knows what they're doing uh at exactly the right speed that no one can tell uh so you know that practice comes in handy uh in in uh novel environments but but our our song is pretty low-key about whether you know what's going on or not and and about laughing in the middle of services if something gets weird or something like that um which isn't the case in every zen environment that i've that i've been in some of them are very serious and but that's never it doesn't seem like that's ever been our thing that doesn't sound like it was matsuo kuroshi's thing uh it's it's just about doing it and feeling happy about it really bowing is one of those examples of one of the things that you just sort of do joyously and it's not really about formality it's about you know movement movement and activity itself like just having fun well yeah and there for sure and i i do like the gratitude aspect we bow um you know to the roshi we bow to the the sangha and we we bow to our each other and ourselves, whatever. We bow to just everything. Mm-hmm. And then um, <laughs> sometimes I, I, it's just nice to bow because you were sitting for so long. And, yes. you know, it's like a, a little stretch, like just, you know, and some people will get on 
get all the way to their knees and bow, which my knees are kind of, if it was like a yoga mat, I would do it, but on the hard floor, that's, that's too much for me, but, Mm -hmm. um, I could see that being really nice and nice to like stretch for you (laughs) right after, (laughs) yeah, right after the practice. There's one time in the entire year of Jewish holidays where there's a full floor prostration. That's exactly the same basically as the Mm -hmm. as the zen one and i always loved that people get in the aisles and do it and uh yeah there's there's uh something cool about the way that the you know in just the sort of normal sunday service that we do when there's you know bells and incense being offered uh, around the heart sutra the person leaving the ceremony does this full prostration on this humongous luxurious pillow on the floor uh, and we all do a sort of normal gasho bow in sync with those bows and uh, as a sort of emphasis or accent on that person's bow. And it's, it feels very kind of symbiotic to me. You know what I mean? Like we're all sort of mm-hmm. bowing once together. It's not, it's not like, uh, it's, it's, it's very out of my head. It's like all participating in one movement. It's one of the things I love about it. Yeah. I mean, so we'd be kind of waiting for this moment for a while where we would start being able to go back to the Zen center. And I know it's, it it can be hard for you even, you know, uh, making sure someone's watching your kids or something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's hard no matter what. Um, but it was, it was really exciting to, um, see everybody, even though it was a small crowd, we're still integrating the online stuff in there, which I thought was really good and that we need to keep up because there's people who are far further away participating at the Zen Center and kind of we're finding like a way to do it in a hybrid setting. But yeah, I mean, what what were your thoughts like uh, coming coming into uh, Zazen practice with everybody um, in this practice for the first time? Yeah, I, I, the, the online thing was cool. I, I was expecting that to feel strange or, or actually really what I was expecting was it was for it to feel secondary. Like it was mm-hmm. kind of happening over in the corner and we were doing the real thing and people were sort yeah. of watching from some little corner, but by now they've got it feeling very natural. I mean, they've just been doing it so much, you know, for such so many months. It did. Straight. And also like, I know those people, a lot of the, I mean, I don't know everybody, but you know, I've, I've been here for a while, so I know a lot of those people. So I was like, oh, yeah, I know you. Yeah. I've seen a yeah, lot yeah. of them in person and stuff, so it's not like some randos on the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like it's usually me, right? Like I'm on there every Sunday pretty much, and and I, yeah. I feel like I've been participating, but I wasn't sure how I was going to feel on the other side. But it absolutely feels like the people online are participating, and I think that it's uh, really important that we keep doing that and that that screen stays there because – uh, it's the only way for the whole distributed silent thunder order world to participate in stuff together. And, you know, it's not just about the pandemic. It's about connecting this network of people in our Sangha that are all over the place and, and will always be. I a hundred percent agree with you. You know, I think like Buddhism in general, just all Buddhism only makes like up 1% of the U S population. Right. Uh, so I'm sure Zen Buddhism is even a smaller portion of that 1%. percent mm-hmm. Um, so if we're gonna, if we want a network of people, we're gonna have to like be creative with how we're allowing people to, um, 
be a part of the sangha. And so, yeah, I think that was really important to have that hybrid setting for sure. Yeah. And it feels comfortable and I'm glad it was there. Uh, what else about it? There was a lot riding on it for me, feeling like I haven't sat in a Zendo. I haven't sat really with that many other people. I mean, you and I sat together in the backyard one time. Amy and yeah. I sat together in the backyard. Uh, and then there was Jukai, which we didn't really do Zazen or like I wasn't there early enough to go to Zazen or whatever it was. You know, I'm, I'm past the point of sort of nervousness or expectations about meditation, but I did feel like something significant was different about sitting in the Zendo. It, it's not even that I felt like it was more significant at the time. It was that coming in, I was like getting really excited and, yeah. uh, you know, wearing all black and all that stuff. And, you know, that, 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 uh, picking a spot, you know, thinking about like which wall I wanted to be looking at, you know, there was all, there were all these like real physical considerations. And then I sat down and just really dropped it all very quickly and, uh, and sat in a, in a very uncomplicated way very present with just what was happening and not just what was happening in the room, but also thinking about my family at home. And, you know, I mean, I was thinking about it a little bit, but really more, it was just, I was just sort of feeling continuous with it. Like at the same time that I'm here in this room, there, there is back indicator in my house, my, you know, my wife and her sister and my kids are playing and, you know, eating lunch and all of that stuff. And they're doing that so I can be here and, uh, it all felt uh, it felt very expansive and very cohesive to me. It didn't feel like I was away from them, or um, I wa- and I wasn't I wasn't stressed out by the idea of being apart from them. Uh, I, I was very grateful to them for the opportunity to be able to be there, and I really hope that I continue to get that opportunity. And one of the things that I that I came home and said that did sort of arise as a thought during zazen was that my wife had said something about wanting to go to shul on Saturday mornings to Shabbat services, but like as her own personal spiritual practice time. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it for, uh, you know, like one second. And I realized if we were both going to Shabbat services for our own personal spiritual rejuvenation, one of us wouldn't get it because we would have to bring the kids and we would have to watch the kids. And, you know, last year, even just with the one kid last year, it was so hard for me to go to services because I was really just trying to keep a kid quiet in a quiet room uh, and not really getting to pray. They don't have like childcare services there. I mean, like, I'm not saying like we don't have that. It would be nice, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean they sort of do, but then you but you have to go, you know, like you can't you you can't the the with a kid that small anyway, you know, like they're mm-hmm. like at a certain age they're they're you drop them off for the kids portion of the thing and you come back. Yeah. But even still, like it's not really it's designed around a very uh, I don't know what to call it, Americanized vision of what people what adults want to do in services. So, you know, the part that the kids and this is older kids I'm talking about, older kids than I have. The part that kids are typically away for in services is like the sermon, like the mind part, the intellectual part. Yeah. Uh, the Torah service, like the reading of the of the weekly Torah portion, which is both 
and intellectual and spiritual exercise. Like it's, there's a lot of majesty around the way that that reading is conducted, but then it's like people talking about the, the story Yeah, and the, the part, the actual praying part. I mean, most people actually just skip it because it's so long and it's beforehand, but like that, the, 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 the point for me of going to some communal religious service is always for some form of spiritual practice. And it's not to use my mind to think about topics or stories. And that, you know, that part wasn't possible for me to uh, participate in when I was bringing a little kid to services. Which part? I'm sorry. I got confused. The praying part. Okay. But that's the part, the ideal part for you. That's the only reason I go. Okay. Like the reason I go is because I want to have a spiritual experience. It it is kind of like the most like meditation or it could be like its own type of meditative practice in a way. So I could see that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's not, it's no Zazen, but it it counts for something. Yeah. So like I I, I would, I, (laughs) I, I would, I would redesign Jewish services in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons, but you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is if, if my wife and I both go together, one of us gets to pray while, you know, I mean, at, at most one of us gets to pray at a time. Whereas now, because of the way that things have worked out, both in our just sort of personal practice and in our lives, we both want to do something. We both need some time to restore ourselves spiritually on our own. Mm-hmm. And we both have ways we want to do it with other people who are doing that practice and they're on different days of the weekend. So, you know, for so long, I've sort of worried about whether there's a conflict here between me wanting to go do Zen stuff and her wanting to do more Jewish stuff. But actually because they're on different days, it's possible for us to both get our time. And so what I'm hoping is that we'll be able to work out a way where she can go on Saturday morning and I can stay with the kids and do some kind of Shabbat thing with them, but you know, not go to synagogue or whatever. Um, or, or just fully immerse myself in childcare at synagogue so that Ariel can be in the service. Mm-hmm. And then on Sunday she takes them so that I can go to the Zendo. And, and that seems like possibly sustainable on a week to week basis. And that felt like a very important thing to me after last Sunday because of how just wonderful it was to be there. Yeah. I mean, and I, that would be amazing. And I hope you guys uh, can find a good cadence with that. Um, I, I'll say like, even though this was, you know, your, your first Zazen with us, it felt like you had been there the whole time. So it didn't feel weird to me that you were there. I was like, yeah, well, you're part of the Sangha. So here you are at the, at the Sangha, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Um, and that was something I was thinking, you know, with some of the newer members, Amy, too, that um, I, I don't know how well the newer members feel like they're integrated because they, they came in, including you, uh, during the pandemic. Yeah. But to me, you all feel like you are the Sangha. So it mm-hmm. never you integrated you all integrated so well then like the the sangha you know like i didn't i didn't ever feel like these are the old the original sangha members they've been around for years and they are the sangha and here's some new people that just came in it didn't feel that way to me it felt like the newer members are still as important as the uh, members that have been around since the 70s (laughs) yeah 
it, it probably varies a lot from person to person. And I certainly feel like there are lots of people that I don't know. I mean, some of that obviously is just by virtue of not having been in the space and some people aren't so into the online part and probably show up every week in the space and everybody knows them. And I've just never met them because I've never been yeah. there. Um, and because they haven't been in the Zendo because of COVID. Uh, but the the way the, the I certainly feel fully integrated into Sangha life, but that's because of the stuff I've taken on to do, to yeah. the way of participating. Uh, and I, I, I would imagine that Amy feels similarly given, especially now that she's got the newsletter project and, you know, some like people who, people who have sort of found a, found an offering, uh, I bet feel, uh, like they've, they've fit right in. And I wonder how other people feel. I mean, that those, those people, if you're listening, you would be the people that we would love to have on the show next, because, because if you feel like you haven't found your place in the Sangha yet, you know, let's come talk about it in front of everyone in the Sangha and then, some somebody might hear something you say and have an idea and there and away we go. Yeah. Um, but I, it's also just something I want to know is just how, how this transition of actually it's kind of like a lot of different transitions of different kinds all at the same time, like how all, all of these transitional things about life in our Sangha now is affecting different people. I want to hear about that. I want as broad a perspective on it as I can. Cause you know, as much as there, there is a sort of unity around these Sunday services, um, it's still very isolated just by virtue mm -hmm. of, you know, the, the online nature and, and, and people's different ability to participate. Like it's, it's not like everybody who is a part of the Sangha comes, uh, even regularly at all yeah. to services on Sunday. And, you know, there's still a lot of people that I've never talked to one-on-one, -on -one, even though I do know who they are. Um, and then this is something, this is something we should work on. We should find more ways to to connect everybody. Um, but we are creating new ways all the time and that's still really cool. And, and, you know, having people come in on a Sunday, like we just did and talk about how we are involved with, with each, like talk to each other about how we're involved and how long we've been coming and what our sort of Zen story is. That is kind of cool. You know, it's not just like assumed that we all do the same thing and, you know, have, have participated in the same way. There, there's a lot of shared context that makes it possible for us to share our sort of stories of being of Zen and of this Sangha in particular and have them all be very different. Nobody was born into this religion. <laughs> not here. Nobody I mean, in our yeah, Sangha. Not, nobody yeah. here. <laughs> not like nobody in the world. But <laughs> so everybody's chosen to, to be here, which I think is really special. Mm -hmm. And whenever I see like someone, someone new, I want to make sure that they feel like as welcome as possible because, you know, I know like we've all been there. Like we have all taken the leap to go to this, this place or join a community that we don't know anybody and we don't know how they're yeah. going to be and we don't know like it's a religion so is it gonna be is it gonna be like uh just un unwelcoming or like feel like it's exclusive or something like that and um i you know i get excited when i see new people i'm like this is an opportunity to really make them feel like this this is a community and that's the that's the point mm -hmm. The, there's something else that i noticed in there and it's not the first time i've ever felt this feeling but it was a lot stronger than it has ever been before, which is that having Zazen as the sort of binding agent, the sort of common purpose 
that everybody there has, no matter if they've been doing it for a week or 40 years, or if they've done it outside of Zen or outside of Buddhism and then started coming to the Zen center to see what, how we do it, whatever it is that brings people to sit Zazen, you show up, you may not know everyone, you take off your shoes, you sit down and then you all sit together and you feel that presence the whole time of just everybody doing this practice and then there's this, this, it's not even just a sort of shared interest. When the sit is over and you're, and you start talking and listening and doing the sort of more social stuff that we do on a Sunday after the sutra chant is over, there's, there's like a shared sensation in the room. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's feeling the same thing. And that is so powerful and also intimate. Yeah. That it makes the connection really strong effortlessly because there's almost for me there's almost a quality to it of like I can't believe other people do this I can't believe that there are other people (laughs) in the world who want to do this like I do and we're doing it together we're not just doing it alone in our homes anymore you know and and I wonder what will change about that feeling for me over time sitting with the sangha day after day after day Uh, and and I know how it how it changes on retreat but that all feels in like very self-contained and intensified in a way that just regular sangha life like this uh, probably has a different and almost more endless, maybe aimless quality of just showing up and doing it. And you know, all my time around other sanghas, I've ju- I've sort of just dropped in, and at most it's been once a week. But but even so, it was like you know, uh, once a week for a couple weeks, and then weeks and weeks of not seeing anyone and not talking to them. And, you know, this is just so different in so many ways. And it's all because this, like this shared practice creates this intimacy that I just feel, I can just see in the eyes of everybody. Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. That's, it it is hard to explain what it is, but I I can tell you, like when I go to uh, practice with the Sangha, I, I get so much energy from it. Like, I'm not a very energetic person. I would call myself low energy, but like, that's the most energetic I get is like when I'm uh, at the Sangha. Um, and, um, and yeah, they do, they do feed us green tea. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I feel like I've just drank an, exp- uh, an espresso or two, so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but less jittery. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that like there, I, feel like almost a sense of um of of love yeah not that like oh i know all these people love me it's just that we we have uh, cultivated that feeling together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. while we're on the subject of love i feel like we would be remiss not to just talk about ungan san's story for a minute mm-hmm. because there was so much love in that story and there was so much love for that story uh and so just to just to fill in everybody else who doesn't if you don't know what's happening uh ungan bill mayhew uh an elder practitioner and see i mean he's the practice leader of the jacksonville sangha in our in our order is getting 
in the, is in the, the three month residential process at our center of getting ordained to be like a full Zen teacher. And, uh, you know, he and Sensei go way back. His Zen story is many decades long. And, you know, there was a Rinzai period and, you know, he's been, he's had a few different home teachers and the, our Sangha has, uh, a, a week, like a several week long, uh, public process by which that person is sort of introduced to the Sangha and tested a little bit as a teacher of the, of our, of our Sangha and our order, um, through various forms, some of which are traditional Soto Zen rituals and others are, are sort of our, you know, simple practice of, you know, sharing, uh, what you've learned. And, and this week was his sort of life story, life Zen story telling process. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he got very emotional about it and just talked about how, like it, it, just by telling this, the, the story of how he ended up in this room doing what he was doing, he shared so much of just this is the truth of Zen of, of just like how things just unfold one after another. And, you know, he would use the words uh, coincidence and karma sort of interchangeably. But what he was really saying was there's no explanation. There's no reason. It just happened and it happened this way. And I'm, and, 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 and he just seemed and felt so grateful that it, that this is the way it happened as hard as it was in his life. And to, to end up here, to have people and a Sangha to practice Zen with just seemed to fulfill him in, in a way that I was really grateful for and receptive to and hopeful about. And, and that kind of sharing is so honored in our Sangha, people just sort of telling their story. And there's so much to relate to in a story of a whole life. If this is where you end up. Yeah. And he he started his practice really he was about like fifty five, even though there there was a lot of things that influenced uh that to happen uh beforehand. Mm -hmm. And um that that makes me really um happy in a way because I think that we have like this idea in, in the West that it's like, oh, like after you reach a certain age you really don't accomplish that much and you just kind of like mm -hmm. Like, you just wait until retirement and then you can, like, mm -hmm. travel a little bit or something like that. But mm -hmm. I think that, like, giving yourself, like, you know, a, a higher purpose like this, you know, and um, I don't know how old he is, um, but he's he's old. And, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. you know, that, that he's that he's becoming a, a priest at a, at a very old age and, you know, that he's finding meaning in life at you know a later stage in life and i think that's i think that's awesome because i i find a lot of older people who they just feel like really bitter or just that you know they they didn't they didn't really get to experience what they wanted to experience or something like mm -hmm. that and i i think that uh something like a community like the zen center uh, or this silent thunder order can give you that ability to experience things on a deeper level uh throughout your entire lifespan mm -hmm. sensei has this cute line that he uses all the time about becoming a priest being a retirement option 
and and what what he usually is implying when he's saying that is like don't get into zen to make a living to like have a career like it's not going to sustain that and and even if you can find a way to sustain that it's going to involve doing a lot of stuff that is counter to the responsibility of that role and uh you know zen is not a racket and and has a lot of structures in place uh and and sort of immunities in it to being commodified the way that other forms of buddhism and you know spiritual practice in general especially in america can be commodified and turned into business propositions and people can be teachers become influencers and all that like zen zen is zen is resistant to that and uh certainly the way our sangha does things is 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 not is not going to support uh, that kind of guru lifestyle. Yeah, no, absolutely uh, but, but, not. <laughs> um, yeah, you but, have to really want to just do it because you love it, not, not because you want something out of it. Yeah. But I think there's another message to what he's saying, which which is that wa- almost that wanting it as a path at any stage of your life is kind of a red flag. And, you know, like think like thinking about it in a long term way uh, as something that you have as a goal is is I mean it's almost just like having a goal for your zazen or you know it's 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 not it's not the real thing to think about like I want to become a Zen priest someday yeah. I want to get ordained that's not how it happens in this sangha it's just like you hang out you keep doing the practice you develop the relationships and gradually little by little you know it becomes clear to your teacher that, that you're ready for another step. And well, you know, a few steps later, there you are. Yeah, maybe. But I also feel like sometimes the ego can bring you to the place and then you have to fix it later. <laughs> you have to fix mm. I don't know. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I, that's what I took away from some of it because I think that he, he was admitting to a lot of times where, his ego did drive him to to do things at the Zen Center and he had to kind of like unlearn that kind of idea yeah. through time. And I don't think that this idea like how could we do something without wanting it? I don't think it's it's like, you know, comes easily to, to people. So I think sometimes I think however, whatever gets you to sit down is good, but eventually... It, you'll learn to not need that to sit down. Householders is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at aszc.org. Our sangha depends on your support. You can donate by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gasho.